great if you could keep that passage open from Genesis chapter 2, because we're going to be looking at it. Happy Mother's Day. Good to see whoever you are, male, female, mothers, aunts, nieces, nephews, whoever. Great to see you. Let's pray. Father, whoever we are this morning, we are people made by you and you want to speak to you have a message for every single one of us. You have a purpose for every single one of us. And Father, we need to hear that. Above all the clamor of the voices that we hear in our lives, we need to hear your word to us. Together, corporately, as well as individually. So Father, please would you speak to us. And Father, please would you help us to respond to what you're saying in Jesus' name. Amen. Those of you are women, I don't know what your experience of being a woman is, but here's how the narrative goes for a lot of women. It's an experience of abuse, it's an experience of being put down, it's an experience of being objectified. There is a narrative about the vulnerability and the experiences of being a woman that are unique to being a woman. And some of them are terrible. Betrayal. Abuse experiences that tear women apart, experiences of loss, experiences of abortion, experiences of seeing children tear your heart. I guess that for many women, for mothers, what happens to your children reaches more deeply and in different places than it does for men. And so you may be wondering this morning, what does it mean to be a woman? And so I want to talk to whoever you are. I want to say what God says about you as a woman. And for those of us who are not women here this morning, we need to hear what God says. First thing I want to say is this, if you're a woman, you're special. You are special. That is what God says about you. And you may be living a narrative that tells you something entirely different. The narrative that you have at work, the narrative even in the most intimate of your relationships, may be telling you a completely different narrative. And it may even be that the narrative that you've received in the church has been that you are less than special. And so I want to tell you really clearly, as clearly as I can, that God says women are special. Have a look at Genesis chapter 2. This is going right back to the beginning. And what we see in Genesis are God's purposes being set out embryonically, but they're a picture of what's going to be of where things are heading, of what God's ultimate purpose is. And I want you to notice what it says there in verse 18. Here's the picture. It's paradise. And God has put the man into this paradise garden. And it's clear that God is there. He's talking to God. It's paradise. So you don't have MasterChef on television. And God says it's not good for the man 
to be alone. Reading the narrative up to there, consistently God has said, it's good, it's good, it's good. He makes this and it's good. He makes this and it's good. It's very good. And for the first time, God says something isn't good. It's not good for the man to be alone. Now, you have to ask yourself the question, what's going on? And by the way, I'm sorry to be saying about engineers, but um, this is a piece of literature. You've got to say, how does it work as a piece of literature? I mean, what's going on here? God looks down and he says, oh, missed that one. Goodness, how could I have created Adam without somebody else? Who would have thought? Why didn't you tell me? Is that what's going on? It's a piece of literature. Or is it that we're supposed to read the text and get out the Kleenex? Oh, I'm so sorry for the man. He's there in Eden, in the garden, in paradise. And God's there. Are we supposed to feel sorry for him? Do you notice that the it's not good doesn't come from Adam? He doesn't come to God one day and say, hey God, I love being in paradise. You know, it is really good being in paradise and I'm glad I'm not somewhere else. But, but you know, there's something missing. I don't know what it is. But I'm sure there's something missing. That is not what the text says. It says God says something isn't good. And what isn't good? It's a heavily gendered text. Do you notice that? What God does is to create woman. It's not that God, the man is lonely and needs a companion, in which case he could have brought another guy along. It's a heavily gendered text. And the way that it's structured is meant to lead us to see that in many ways the climax of creation in chapter 2 is the creation of woman. That's how the text works. She is the climax of creation in Genesis chapter 2. She's not an afterthought. Oh, goodness me, we've got a gap here in the created order. I need to do something about it. What can I do? I know, I'll create woman. <laughs> That's not how the text works. And the man understands that. So God sends him to sleep. So I, I want you to picture it. You're in paradise. Paradise, okay? You don't have bad days in paradise, dice. And, 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 and you, everything's wonderful and everything's fantastic and you have lots to fulfill you. You have a purpose for your existence. And God comes along one day and drugs you and you go to sleep. And you go to sleep and you're dreaming sweet dreams and the dreams of paradise. And then you wake up and you see a vision you could never ever have imagined in your wildest dreams. And you think to yourself, I thought life was paradise before, but I hadn't understood how much more it could be. And the, the man looks at this creature in front of him and says, Wow, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman. She's like 
me, but she isn't me. She is amazing. The Bible wants to tell you, God wants to tell you, if you're a woman, whatever the narrative of your life, God says women are special. Special. And so when you go to your job tomorrow and you get put down by your male boss, I want you to tell yourself, that's not how God sees me. Or if you go into a relationship where you're put down by your partner or people in your family, I want you to say to yourself, that is not the narrative that God has spoken into my life. I am special. Second thing. God has a purpose for your life. Back to verse 18, it's not good for the man to be alone. What does that mean? Here's how that's often taken. And, and some of you have heard me say this before, and I, I just need to go on saying it, I think. The narrative goes something like this. Poor Adam, there he is in the garden, and he's lonely. So what he needs is a companion. And so what God does is he creates woman to be a companion to man. Because we're built for relationship, and, and so that's what this text is about. I, I, I was sitting many years ago in a really, really famous church, not in Australia. Okay. It's being recorded, so <laughs> my job's on the line. And the person was preaching on Genesis chapter 2, and he was preaching about friendship. And he said, you see, this is about friendship. You have no idea how much damage you do to the text when you take it like that. Because, you see, if this is about Adam's loneliness, then why does he need a woman? It could be anybody. And so we turn a heavily gendered text into a text that's more androgynous. It, it, it really doesn't matter. But in the text, it does matter. Alternatively, if we do go with the gendered nature of the, of the passage and we say this is about Adam's loneliness, then what we're saying is that marriage is the answer to loneliness. And that is wrong at multiple levels. Not least the fact that marriage often isn't the answer to loneliness. Now, please, don't misunderstand me. I am good friends with my wife, you know. <laughs> just in case you wondered. And I think it's great when husbands and wives are friends. That really ought to be the case. There ought to be companionship in marriage. It's a great thing. Marriage can be a fantastic thing in terms of loneliness, but it isn't the answer. It isn't the Bible's answer to loneliness. But in any case, in any case, this isn't about loneliness. It is about the man's aloneness. It is about his incapacity to do what God has called human beings to do without a woman. That's what it's about. 
It's not good for man to be alone. Do you notice in verse 18? It's not good for man to be alone, so I'll provide a helper. We'll come to helper in a minute. And then you have that section in between, which is about the rest of creation is brought before Adam, and he names them. And then it's ended up, ended off at that point by God repeating, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper that's suitable. Do you see what that's saying? In the whole of creation, there is nothing that can enable the man to do what God has called human beings to do. Nothing. This is about the man's incapacity to fulfill God's purpose for humanity on his own. And it's not simply that he needs a companion. He needs a woman. It's a gendered text. Does that make sense? It's not about existential loneliness. It's about aloneness. He cannot, cannot do it on his own without a woman. Man isn't sufficient, is what it's saying. I told you there was stuff for men, didn't I? What the man needs is a helper. Now, what about the word helper? Um, I, I, I go to gigs occasionally. I, I like to think I'm still cool. And then my children talk to me, and I realize the truth. And, you know, if you go to a gig and you, by mistake, turn up early, I like you turn up at the time the gig's supposed to start, <laughs> and you have to sit through or stand through the support act. Do you know that? The bar does a roaring trade. And unless you particularly know the band that's coming up before or the artist before, you know, most people talk, they're on their phones, they're doing all kinds of things. And one or two people are listening. It's a support act. It's great value for the sound engineers. It's great value for the bar because they do a roaring trade. But it is a support act. And you can read in English the word helper and think, ah, the man needs a support act so that he can do the really important stuff. You know, like those moments that you have when you think, I have a great task to do, but I can't do it because I'm bowed down by all the administration and the trivial stuff that's just sinking me. I need a helper. Whoa, woman. That is not what's going on in Genesis 2. Do you know that in the rest of the Old Testament, the word helper is used almost exclusively for God as the helper? Do you think that God comes along as the weaker party? We need God as our helper because we're not strong enough and he's the strong one. He doesn't come along as the support act. What the man needs is somebody, a woman, to enable them together to do what God has called them to do. It is about the 
inability of men, if I can put it like that, to do what God has called human beings to do without women. That's what the text is about. And by the way, you notice the creation is from man. She's bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. What's that about? Well, in this particular context, it has nothing to do with authority. There is a discussion to be had about the roles of women in church and all those kinds of things, and there are clearly some things that women can do that men can't and vice versa. Last time I checked, men can't have babies. But this isn't about authority. When Adam says, she's bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, he's saying, she's not another species. You know, she hasn't been brought here from Mars. She's like me. She's from me. But she isn't me. She's woman. Wow. Amazing. Church of Jesus Christ is the church is to be the church needs men and women. We can talk about roles. I uh, rashly said at the eight o'clock service that before the end of the year I will preach on one Timothy two. Let the reader understand. One Timothy two has this bit about I don't permit a woman to teach and have authority and she should be in silence and all that kind of stuff. Uh, many years ago, when I was young and foolish. Um, I started a series on 1 Timothy 2. I hadn't worked out on 1 Timothy, the book of 1 Timothy. I hadn't worked out what 1 Timothy 2 about women was all about. But I thought, I'll get there. And what I found was, as I was going through chapter 1, I started to slow down. <laughs> Until I got to the first part of chapter 2 about men being in church and praying in church. And I stopped. And we did Galatians. <laughs> and I've never been back. Anyway, that's an aside. The church of Jesus Christ needs women to be the church. Men and women. One, one last thing. Um, it's just a small thing, and, and, and I really ought to speak to somebody about it, so it's my fault. But we were having communion the other week, and I was up at the front, and I had one of those moments where I wanted to die, because um, I realized that every single one of us who were giving out communion was, was a man, except for one woman who was going to help and take it around. But all the people up at the front were men. What are we communicating? What are we communicating? If you're a woman, you're special. If you're a woman, God has a purpose for your life. A purpose that only you could do as a woman. Number three. Number three, you have great potential to exercise power. You have great potential to exercise power. That's not the usual narrative for women, is it? It's that women are vulnerable, women are weak, women are oppressed, and that's true. And I really don't want to downplay any of that, but there is another side to it. Women, you have the capacity for enormous power. It's famously said, or infamously said, isn't it, of Helen of Troy, that she launched a thousand ships. Men will do crazy things for women sometimes, won't we? 
we'll give up things, we'll pay any price, we'll do the craziest of things for a woman. Women, you have the capacity for enormous power. Enormous power. In chapter 2 and verse 24, you notice it says, Therefore a man will leave his mother and father and be united to his wife and they'll become one flesh. What's all that about? The man leaves security, his home, the thing that's most precious to him, his mother and father, his family, and all that's associated with that. And he's willing to leave. Why? For the sake of being with his wife. That's power. Women, you have the capacity for power. Use it, but make sure you use it well. Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3 is that famous story. They're in paradise and the serpent comes in and tempts the woman. And so she takes from the fruit of the tree and she gives it to Adam who's standing next to her. Gives it to him and he eats. And Theologians call that the fall. It's where all the bad news starts. For us. When God turns up and speaks to the man in chapter 3 and verse 17, he says, Because you listened to your wife. Think about it. God has very clearly said to the man, You must not eat of that tree. He understands. 1 Timothy 2 says that the man was not deceived. He knew exactly what he was doing. But he listened to his wife. I think that's power, isn't it? Power. He was willing to listen to his wife. Women, you have the capacity for power. Use it. We'll make sure you use it well. Lastly. last thing I want to say is this. You are loved. As a woman, you are loved. Genesis 2.24, therefore a man will leave. He pays a price in order to be with his wife. He leaves his father and his mother. He leaves the security. He's willing, if you like, to give up everything in order to be with this woman who's captured him. Genesis 2 is the start. It's not the climax. Genesis 2 and Genesis 1 are pointing to something bigger than this. So when Paul in Ephesians 5 comes to talk about Genesis 2.24, he applies it to Jesus and the church that is his people. And Jesus is like the man... In Genesis 2, but on a very different canvas. Because for Jesus, there's a leaving. There's a leaving of the glory of his communion with God himself. Where he is God in Trinity. And he leaves and he comes as one of us, and he lives in this crazy, mixed-up, desperate world, and experiences what it is to be one of us, until finally he experiences the dereliction of the cross. Why does he do it? 
same kind of reason that you've got in Genesis 2.24, therefore a man will leave his father and mother. Jesus is leaving something far, far more than that and enduring far, far more than just the loss of family. Jesus loses everything for the sake of you and me, male or female. Whoever we are, we need Jesus to be the one who comes and finds us. And in in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul uses this imagery of the bride, and and, and I want you to to picture it. You're at a wedding, and, and everybody's gathered, and finally the shout goes out, the young woman has appeared, and everybody turns around, and she's radiant, and she's beautiful, and she's gorgeous. And, and she comes and walks forward and the, the groom is beaming at the arrival of this girl. And, and, and Paul says that's a picture of Christ in the church. But do you know what the backstory is to that? Do you know what she was before? The backstory to Ephesians 5 are those depictions of God's people who become spiritual prostitutes, commit spiritual adultery. It's the image of a woman who is the wife of God who goes out and sells her body and ends up sometimes beaten up on the street and covered in dirt. And the husband goes and picks her up and brings her home and washes her and restores her. That's the backstory for all of us. We're all messed up. We all need the forgiveness that only Jesus can bring. We all need our guilt dealt with. We all need the things that are in our life that are a mess that only Jesus can put right. And so men or women... We need Jesus. And we need to find our identity in Jesus. We become, begin to discover what it is to be a man, what it is to be a woman when we're in relationship with Jesus Christ. So women, whatever your experience is, I want to say again, God says you're special. You're special. That you have a purpose. So those times when you think that my life is pointless, when people are telling me that I'm not good enough, or that I'm just there to support the men so they do the really important things, God says you have a purpose and only you can do it. And you have power. Use it well. And you are loved so much that the Son of God left and came and died so that you could be made whole and washed and cleansed and your past dealt with and your future guaranteed. Let's pray. Father, when you look into our 
lives, you see the truth about us, and the truth about us is not always what we present, even to ourselves. And as you looked out on that first creation and saw something that the man hadn't, it's not good to be alone. You look into every single one of our hearts and you say, it's not good unless every single one here has found their forgiveness and found their place and found their identity and found their healing in Jesus. It's not good. And so, Father, please, would you bring to us the healing to those who are feeling abused or are actually abused? Would you bring the knowledge of your love for them, of your purposes for them, of all that you have for them? May they know that they are special and loved. And may all of us know what it is to be in relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.